0: Well, welcome everyone. My name is Eric Henderson. I'm the lead pastor here at Bethany Green Lake. Really excited uh, for children and youth to be joining us in services today. Thank you for being here, moms and dads. Thanks for your sacrifice. We'll all just be comfortable with whatever distractions present themselves today, knowing. Uh, none of our kids or youth are distractions. Like We actually, as we're beginning, uh, continuing this sermon series, uh, life in the spirit amidst racism, uh, the beginning there is, is uh, rest- restoration, life in the spirit amidst racism. We need our children and youth. I think you guys actually do this really well. Uh, And so we need, you lead with with curiosity and and just openness and vision, and so we're excited to have you uh, join us as we talk about this. That's a a really big sermon title, Life in the Spirit Amidst Racism, and yet at the heart of it is our strong belief that God wants to do something new in his people, in the world, beginning in the church. Uh, But the evils of racism and prejudice have worked their way into the foundation's and floorboards. I don't know if in your house, have you ever gone underneath it? There's a foundation there. Sometimes we're not really aware of what's there and yet it's really important for us to kind of peek in together Uh, and it's only by God's spirit that we can do that well, that we can live into the newness that God is inviting us to and there's this vision of all of us restored together uh, around uh, the throne of Jesus. So Jesus at the center of our lives. Now, it's important to note, is is racism the only problem in the world? No, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of broken things in the world, and yet this is a massive one that we wanna be committed to as a church, believing God is leading us uh, to learn and grow together. Uh, And this isn't just a struggle for us now in 2022. Uh, It's certainly been throughout world history, certainly in our own country, and the early church wrestled with Uh, divisions. They had questions about who belonged and who didn't and what people had to do or to be uh, in order to belong. So in our time together, we're going to learn from their example uh, recorded in the Bible. We're going to look at two passages of scripture today. We just have two points uh, together, but I want us to see that Jesus is always expanding the borders of belonging. He's making room, uh, inviting uh, us as followers of Jesus to make room in our hearts and minds and to make room in our spaces, seeking to create this diverse, united, new, multi-ethnic family of God. So we wanna consider together today making room in our hearts and minds and then making room in our spaces. So join me in prayer as we ask God to teach us. Um, God, we're thankful that we're here. We're thankful that... Uh, we're your children. We're thank you, thankful that, Holy Spirit, you are here leading us and opening us up. So would you teach us now uh, as we gather? We love you. Amen. Well, we're going to begin, rather than a traditional scripture reading, with a Bible project video about our scripture reading, because it helps us understand the, the full context of what was happening in the book of Acts as the apostles were spreading the gospel beyond just the Jews to non-Jews, uh, people called Gentiles. Gentiles and how that was received. There was much uh, dissension and, uh, and uh, strife in that. So pay special attention to the section about the Jerusalem Council, uh, because that's our scripture for today. And listen for what God was trying to do in bringing Jews and non-Jews together. Let's watch.
1: Now, in recounting all these stories, Luke has highlighted a number of important themes by repeating them. So first is the continued mission to Israel. Whenever Paul enters a new city, he always goes first to the Jewish synagogue to share about the risen King Jesus and how he's forming a new multi-ethnic family of God. Now most often, lots of people come to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but some oppose Paul. Sometimes they even throw him out of town as a dangerous rebel who opposes the Torah and Jewish tradition. And this tension culminates after the first journey, leading to an important council in Jerusalem. So Paul discovers that there are some Jewish Christians in Antioch, and they're claiming that unless non-Jewish people become Jewish by practicing circumcision, the Sabbath, obeying the kosher food laws, that they can't become part of Jesus' family. But Paul and Barnabas, they radically disagree. And so they take the debate to a leadership council in Jerusalem. Now there, Peter, Paul, and James, the brother of Jesus, they all show from the scriptures and from their experience that God's plan was always to include the nations within his covenant people. So they write a letter requiring non-Jewish Christians to stop participating in pagan temple sacrifices, but they don't require them to adopt an ethnically Jewish identity or obey the laws in the Torah. Now, this decision was groundbreaking for the history of the Jesus movement. Jesus, he's the Jewish Messiah, but he's also the risen king of all nations. And so one's membership among his people is not based on ethnic identity or following the laws of the Torah. It's based simply on trusting Jesus and then following his teachings. And it's this multi-ethnic reality of the Jesus movement that leads us to the next theme Luke wants us to see in the missionary journeys, namely the clash of cultures between the early Christians and the Greek and Roman world. Luke records multiple clashes in Philippi, Athens, and Ephesus, Paul goes and announces Jesus as the revelation of the one true God and as the king of the world, who shows up all other gods and idols as powerless and futile. And his message is consistently viewed as subversive to the Roman way of life, and he gets accused of being a dangerous social revolutionary. These stories show how the multi-ethnic, monotheistic Jesus communities did not fit into any cultural boxes known to the Roman people. The ancient world had just never seen anything like that amen so God was doing a new thing inviting uh,
0: his church his new followers to make room but uh, making room is is challenging isn't it maybe think about ways that uh, kids in particular that you've been invited to make room sometimes all the seats are taken sometimes there's only enough food at the meal for the people that you planned on Sometimes the game on the playground already has the right amount of players. Uh, Sometimes you just don't wanna explain the rules to people again. It can be really challenging uh, to make rules. Uh, Or sometimes we just can't imagine or or feel unwilling to give up something. It offends our sense of justice or fairness. I know we're all interested in, in fairness, especially when they're different from us or are a stranger in some way. We can all carry this what's in it for me, kind of an inherent selfishness when we're invited uh, to make room. But uh, let me give you two quick examples of this. I was on a plane a few years ago flying back from, at the end of my sabbatical, flying back from Germany to Seattle. So it was a nine-hour flight. Uh, As I always do, I booked an aisle seat. Uh, And this particular aisle seat, it was like $15 to move up a row and have... uh, extra leg room, which I, you can't tell because I'm on the stage, but I'm not super tall. Uh, so I could like stretch my whole leg out and not hit the seat in front of me. So I'm settled into my seat for this nine hour flat. I've got my iPad. I downloaded some movies and shows. And then uh, a man and his kids came down the aisle uh, and um, they realized that their seat assignments were such that they weren't going to be able to sit together together. And so one of the kids was going to be separated, which I'm pretty sure is not even allowed. Uh, Has this ever happened to any of you kids? Have you ever been like, oh, shoot, or maybe you were excited, the chance to not (laughs) sit with mom and dad? So the dad kind of looks around, and he chooses me uh, for whatever reason uh, on the aisle, and he says, hey, can we trade aisle seats and explains his situation, and so my first thought was like, man, you should have talked to them out there because like the professionals would have helped get you in the spot and likely it wouldn't have affected my flight. Uh, and then my second, uh, my second thought was like, well, there goes my legroom. So I move uh, and I'm settled into my new seat. Uh, and in a similar situation with my family, I would want the dad to do the exact same thing. So I could put myself in his shoes. I'm settled in my new aisle seat. Uh, And I just get, you know, everything like so, uh, as you kind of do in the little pockets and all that. And then uh, a woman comes down the aisle and she's like, hey, you're in my seat. And I'm like, oh, no. So I was like, well, I traded with that guy. And so we all compare our tickets uh, and realize that he didn't actually have an aisle seat. He had one seat in from the aisle. Uh, So now I'm thinking, bye-bye legroom, bye-bye aisle seat. Uh, so I settle in uh, to this new seat for this nine-hour flight. Uh, making room is hard. The second story, my wife and I were just watching a, a TV show recently and there was some friends gathering for a dinner party in a really small apartment, already two people around pretty uh, too small of a table. And an and unintended guest comes and is invited to stay for dinner. And before he comes all the way in, the host makes everyone who has already gotten all their food, uh, she goes around with like the bowl and makes them put some of their pasta back, <laughs> right? It's, they've already been eating it and they're kind of, everyone's begrudgingly doing it. They've got to scoot to make a new seat. Making room is hard for us. Uh, would you agree? So in this Acts 15 Jerusalem Council account, there was a sense for them too that making room is really challenging. And part of what was hard about it was that people were trying to be faithful to God. Some of the Jewish believers wanted the Gentiles, as we heard, the non-Jews, to essentially become Jewish, even getting circumcised. Kids, you can talk to mom and dad about that later. Uh, They wanted them to become Jews first and then they could follow Jesus. They couldn't imagine another way as these strangers and cultural and ethnic outsiders were coming to the table. But the council arrived at some practical rules, some non negotiables related to the Jesus way of life, and then welcomed the non Jews in. But what made the difference for them was hearing from Peter that this was actually a move of God, something that God intended, that God had been doing. Uh, for a long time, that the Holy Spirit was bringing to fruition uh, in their life together. And Peter even uses the words of the prophets. He used scriptures that they knew that they had quoted long ago to give them confidence that this was actually the way forward and they had simply missed it. And then they listened as Peter and Barnabas told firsthand accounts of the ways in which God was at work through these non-Jews. And it was moving. It doesn't tell us what they told them. It just says that a hush kind of went over them. They listened silently as they heard all that God had been doing among these people that had previously been outsiders. And this stirred the hearts and the minds of those who opposed them. And they made room in their belief system. And this openness to outsiders, they realized this was in line with God's plan. And they began to see them as a part of the family of God. It began in their hearts and minds. So as we consider this passage in light of the cultural and ethnic tensions the early church experienced, and then the racial fragmentation or separateness in many ways that we see in the church now, I want us to begin to understand that as followers of Jesus, it's not simply enough for us to just be cool with people different from us liking Jesus too, or even being saved, as was the real question at this Jerusalem council. But that we, in fact, should be in proximity across cultural and ethnic lines to see that God is building a diverse, united, new, multi-ethnic family of God. And it should be our goal and, more importantly, our joy to see that work in our life together here at Bethany Community Church at Green Lake, an increasing measure in these days. We miss out on way too much life and perspective when we don't have a diversity represented of people, represented all throughout our church. And this begins in our hearts and minds with an openness to those on the outside. Rich Viotis is a pastor. His book, The Deeply Formed Life, which I would just commend to you, he writes this. The real question of Christian discipleship as it relates to reconciliation is not, can I be your brother in Christ? but can I be your brother-in-law? Who can't your child marry? Who do you feel uneasy about having in your home? Questions like this help us get to the core of racial situations. It's one thing to be in close proximity uh, with someone who looks and thinks and even eats differently than you. It's another to be in deep relationship with that person. And still another to work for a world that is Christ's kingdom in which our differences are not placed on a hierarchy that regards some as superior and others as inferior. Now that quote might've made you uncomfortable. It it made me uncomfortable. That's okay. Jesus, we submit our discomfort to you. Comfort us and lead us. We can't make room without some discomfort. There might be some nine hour flights with no leg room in a middle seat in our souls as we go about this work together, wrestling with what Jesus is inviting us to. I'd encourage us to take a page from, from Coach Ted Lasso when discomfort or, or struggle comes to be curious, not judgmental. Ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Do I feel like I'm losing something as I make room for others? And why is that? I wonder, uh, particularly kids, who's ever heard uh, a noise in the night or seen a shadow in the closet? And you were like, uh-oh. I wonder, was it ever a monster or an intruder? If it was, I'd love you to tell me about it afterward. These are good (laughs) ghost stories. My experience is that usually when there's a shadow in the closet or a noise somewhere in the house is that it's usually something neutral. It's like, you know, it was the heater. Or sometimes, even better, it's, it's something kind of awesome. Like that scary shadow in the closet is... Sometimes, maybe it's a, the Darth Vader costume that you wanted for Halloween that mom and dad bought and hung up and you just didn't notice it when the lights were on. Or, or maybe that, that noise you heard in the night, maybe you're staying at grandma's house with the creaky floors and, and you couldn't sleep because you heard it. Maybe that was just grandma downstairs making cookies. My, my experience these days is when we turn on the TV and we scroll through social media or things like that, uh, that there, there's a lot of fear. Sometimes we call them boogeymen that people are kind of placing in our closet. It's kind of being forced to us. And church, I think we need to just flick the light on and see that the work of reconciliation is a good and beautiful thing that God is inviting us into. Are we ready and willing to make room in our hearts and minds for those different from us culturally and ethnically? That God did something on the cross uh, and at Pentecost and certainly the resurrection. And we see this picture of it in Re- Revelation 7 that Pastor Scott talked about a few weeks ago. Of everyone around, from, people from every tribe and nation and tongue around Jesus' throne, worshiping unity in the midst of their diversity. And we need to move beyond simple uh, ethnic diversity and just representation to real reconciliation, which requires Relationships, actually knowing one another and sharing spaces and allowing people's whole selves and their stories and perspectives to be present in and to shape our life together. In the book, Rediscipling the White Church, uh, Pastor David Swanson, a white pastor, again, I would just uh, encourage you to read this book. He writes this Over the years, I've reached the disappointing conclusion that most white people, including Christians, Simply do not expect our communities, churches, neighborhoods, friend groups, and so on, to include people of color. For most of us, it's fine if there is some racial diversity, but it's not something we're anticipating or working toward. Yes. Jesus, we submit to you our discomfort. Comfort us and lead us. I believe we can and we should make room in our hearts and minds, friends, to reimagine uh, and expect and work toward racial and cultural and ethnic diversity with Christ at the center. That Jesus is expanding the borders of belonging, inviting us to join him in his work. And It's with this, this in mind that I want to turn to our, our second passage from today and this theme of, of making room in our spaces. So uh, I'll say a few things by way of introduction and then we're going to do a little Bible study together. Each of us have all these different spaces that we occupy during the week. Kids, you have your home and your family, your school, uh, maybe with friends in your neighborhood, maybe a sports team, Uh, college students, you have your classes and your dorms. Adults, in addition to these places, a lot of you have a lot of work, and then after work, you're driving your kids to their spaces. And and the retirees among us, y'all are the busiest bunch. Uh, you have all sorts of spaces that you're in. But each of us have these spaces that we're in throughout the week. And sometimes we're really comfortable in these spaces uh, and sometimes we aren't. Sometimes there's unwritten rules about how we dress or speak or, or, or act and it can make us feeling, uh, feeling nervous. Ever feel the pressure to fit in in a situation, in a space? I think that's all of us, right? Let's all just raise our hand real quick. Yeah, we all feel the pressure to fit in sometimes. Maybe you've experienced this. Uh, my kids, time and again, have been on sports teams where it feels like every other kid goes to the same school and we happen to be the, the two kids from Madrona or the one kid from Madrona. And then all the parents seem to know each other and they're like chatting. And I've felt on the outside of that, like looking for the inroad. Uh, and that can, be, that can be really challenging. It's important here to note that you know These people weren't trying to marginalize me in any way. They j- probably just simply didn't know. They just didn't notice. And, and we don't need to uh, differentiate between intent and impact. This is actually really important as we have conversations across racial and ethnic lines. I'm not saying they were intentionally marginalizing me. Again, they just didn't know. But there was an impact of me still feeling the outside and that was the same. Just because we didn't intend something doesn't mean that harm wasn't done. And to put a sharper point on this, I may feel like this in just a couple spaces. Like I'm a 40-year-old white landowning man from Seattle. Like there's a lot of spaces that I'm just uniquely comfortable in in my life. But I guarantee you that people of color experience being on the outside of situations at a level that might shock many of us white folks perhaps in the majority of spaces they are in outside their own home, even in our church. As followers of Jesus, in every room that we occupy, we should have eyes for folks on the outside looking for a way in. We can make room in our spaces. We can build bridges to belonging, expanding the inroads to community and reconciliation. And this is important because though invisible in many ways, there are borders to belonging in all of these spaces. Think about the, the lunchroom or the, or the bus. Who sits with who and, and, and where do they sit? Do we notice this? In your office, who gets invited out to lunch and who doesn't? Or think bigger, who's, who's welcomed in your neighborhood? Maybe even just simply to walk through or to buy a home, frankly. In what ways our ethnicity and skin color or outward appearances, things like cultural and religious clothing, how do these influence whether someone is welcomed in a space? Prejudice towards outside isn't a new thing. This is throughout human history. But outside each of our individual choices to make room for others or not, prejudice exists, as I said earlier, in the foundations and the floorboards of so many of our spaces. And Jesus is inviting us to turn on the light, to see it, to follow him as he walks along the borders of our spaces, cutting the tension with his presence and power. I'll show you what I mean. Turn with me to to Luke chapter 17. You can do that in the Bible or you can follow along on the screen. We're just going to do a a quick Bible study here together. This is the story of the, the 10 lepers. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. This starts in verse 11. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Leprosy is like a skin condition that people were very fearful of. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now I love how this story starts because it feels like the story starts uh, in verse 12. But there's some really important information in verse 11. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, notice what Luke, the author, does here. He's quick to point out that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish religious world. He's headed to the heart of his own heritage. You'd be like me going back to Renton. And he's making his journey As he's making his journey, the text tells us that he didn't travel exclusively in Galilee and avoid Samaria, as was the regular Jewish custom. No, the text begins by telling us that he traveled along the border, between family on one side and foe on the other, and he's headed to the place that is meant to be the perfect embodiment of his ethnic and religious identity. Luke begins the story here with this intentional and important detail about Jesus in the borderlands that we might gloss over, but it's vital as we'll see. Jesus is expanding the borders of belonging, responding to the needs and faith of an outsider. So as we continue in verse 12, as Jesus entered the village, he encounters 10 men with leprosy. And note this, they stood at a distance. This is important, it's another clue for us that the author is dropping. The story is not just about physical healing. It's about that, but it's about more than that. See, this detail that they stood at a distance tells us that the 10 men understood custom. There were some rules that they had learned and that they were living by. They understood what was expected of them by law. They understood what their disease meant in their culture. Physically, their bodies were bound. Spiritually and culturally, they were shackled. They were outsiders. They understood that to be a leper meant they were unclean, which meant to, uh, and to avoid making Jesus unclean, they stood at a distance. In this story, the 10 lepers don't dare to get close to Jesus because of their spiritual formation. And if we miss this, we'll miss the impact of the punchline. Because next we see Jesus give a command. He doesn't heal them right there. He says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Could you imagine? Jesus just said, you, you asked for healing. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. And you're literally, these guys were running to the priest. And it probably took them a while to notice that these very visible, probably painful skin sores were going away. Were they healed all at once? I don't know. Did it take a minute? Did it matter how fast they were running? I have no idea. You might ask, why would Jesus say this? Show yourselves to the priest. Building on the theme of the men being unclean, Jesus heals them physically of leprosy, but he also, probably more important in many ways to them, he lifts them socially. The men hear Jesus say these words and they are off and running. As they went wasn't how they were healed. Like they were like, okay, we're going because Jesus just promised we're gonna be healed. Now they, they weren't gonna have to broadcast their social and spiritual status everywhere they went. They might feel free in many more spaces once they're declared clean, freed from the outskirts of society, freed from oppression. And it's at this moment where the text takes a turn, because verse 15 tells us, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Notice what what happened here. Jesus says, show yourself to the priests, and with great haste they went to the place where the priests are. And as they're rushing to be reinstated, to be re-legitimized in this culture that they had been marginalized in, one of the men has this realization. And he comes back praising God. He throws himself at Jesus' feet. And watch this, because while the other nine went to Jerusalem to see their priests through this act, this Samaritan was saying to Jesus, you're my priest. He said, Jesus, you said show me to the priest, so I'm here showing myself to you because you are, are my priest. I'm opening myself up to you, Jesus, because you are my priest. This is what these non-Jews in Acts 15 were also doing by putting their faith in Jesus. And it's in response to this where Luke reveals what he's been getting at from the beginning of the story, the detail about Jesus being headed to Jerusalem, the note about him traveling along the border, the distance that all the lepers took when they encountered Jesus, this rush for them to show themselves to the priests, all these details shape the story to show us what Luke really wants to get at here is this representation, this reimagining of what life would with God should form in us as we experience God's freedom. In this story, Jesus is expanding the borders of freedom. He's making room in spaces where there hadn't been room. And I think Luke is asking us, "Who is your priest?" Does your faith in God cause you to to see the world with these sharp dichotomies, us versus them, clean versus unclean, right versus wrong, righteous versus sinner? Does your faith set you up to think of the world that way? This is the power of the story, and this is where we'll, we'll land the plane. As the Samaritan comes to Jesus and tells him that Jesus is his priest, Luke uses this story to critique versions of religion that exclude others from the fold. Luke is using this story to help us interrogate, to ask the question whether or not the way that we practice our faith is in line with the radical hospitality of Jesus. This is what Paul and Barnabas were saying at the Jerusalem Council, that God is a work among the non-Jews. We've seen it. They have faith in Jesus and that's all that's needed. So does our faith form us to hold to sharp categories around who's in and who's out? Or does our faith call us to be ministers of reconciliation as we travel along, like Jesus, these societal borders? The very concept of clean versus unclean is being blown up here, and this Samaritan was being freed from viewing the world in that way. It's my hope that we will be freed as a church from seeing the world in this way, to walk along the borders of our spaces, to notice who's in and who's out, to kick the boundary lines, following Jesus as he makes room for those outside the circle. Not first asking them to conform to whatever norms, but rather joining Jesus as he creates this diverse, united, new, multi-ethnic family with Christ at the center. So as the band comes and leads us in response, I'll just say, we're not gonna do this overnight. Like, we're gonna fix racism in our church or even in our city or maybe even our own hearts in a five-week sermon series. Like, let's lower, let's lower the pressure. Bethany's 106 years old, and as a church, we've been uh, focusing on the issue of reconciliation and racism just for the last six or seven years. The majority of that has been learning, as it should be, just a posture of openness. But a few potential next steps for you as you consider uh, how, to, how to live into this, in addition to simply being prayerful and watchful in all of your spaces There's this new cohort of of mentors with Urban Impact in South Seattle, one of our partners. Uh, If you have uh, skills in the business world and would love to walk alongside a minority business owner, that's border uh, border expanding work. Or perhaps uh, sitting under the teaching of a black pastor would be helpful for you and eye-opening and even probably more uh, encouraging and joy-producing. Pastor Otis from Holly Park Community Church Uh, is gonna teach on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. in the chapel at our second midweek. I would love to have you join us. And then in a few weeks, Dominique Gilliard, the author of Subversive Witness, is gonna come and share with us around, helping us think about how can each of us uh, steward our privilege in the world for the flourishing of others. So thank you all, kids especially, for listening and engaging uh, with me this morning. Do y'all remember the, the woman I mentioned that I sat next to on the plane? She got my aisle seat. Well, uh, she was uh, she was wanting to talk. She was one of those travelers who just showed up with a book, like no headphones, no iPad, which I'm always like, oh man, how are you just white knuckling your way through a nine hour flight? But she started asking, well, what are you doing? You're by yourself. You're traveling back from Germany. And I told her about my sabbatical. I'd been at a week in Austria with, with my pastor, with Richard, at a torchbearer school, and which led to questions about me being a pastor, which led to her sharing really her whole story with me. Uh, she shared uh, just layers and layers of brokenness. And, and, and as she got into it, she started telling me, she had been thinking about asking the question, like, is life worth living? Do I really have anything to offer in the world? Uh, and then she went on to, to ask me like, is God really real? Like, how do you know? And she said, would you pray for me? And now I thought I was gonna be watching movies on my iPad, and now I'm praying for this stranger and believing that God had placed me there uniquely. That's why I had to give up my seat. God had a divine appointment for me. I believe that God has divine appointments for each of us in the relational level and at the systemic level. There's so much in the broken floorboards and foundations of each of our spaces. Whatever industry you're in, whatever circles you run in, I guarantee there are opportunities for reconciliation. God's inviting us to stand like he was me, uh, uh, to bear witness on the border of, of hope and despair for this woman, uh, on the border of isolation and belonging for so many in our community. So each of us have a next step to take. I think the best next step is always to come to God and worship. So we're going to do that now. We're going to sing a new song called Resurrender. Each of us can return to God anytime we gather in worship. So we're going to do that now. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together.